Hey everyone, we needed to put a content warning here at the start. In this episode, we talk about medical horror and medical abuse, and we touch on themes of rape and incest. We try to keep this to a minimum, but it was not completely avoidable due to the contents of the movie. And with that said, let's jump into it. So, a little bit ago, I saw a thing on Twitter saying, quote, retweet, your favorite consecutive four-film run of the same director, and I thought that would be a fun little discussion to open this up with, and Sophia has requested that I go first. Is that so right? I, I just, I really want to, I really want to open this up with a question, though. Is there such a thing as a director who has four consecutive films that are good, actually? Yes. Okay, go for it. This might be cheating a little bit, but... They often direct as a duo, so it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Okay, and the movies? The movies are Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street, The Lego Movie, and 22 Jump Street. Ah, I see. 22 Jump Street was good? Yes. What? Did you not like it? I didn't like the first one. Okay, I mean, then that's personal taste. So, my answer is going to be Ryan Johnson, who did... Looper, which was, was okay, then did several episodes of Breaking Bad, then did Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, and then did Knives Out. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait! I've got a better one. I've got a better one. Okay, oh, hear me out on this one. Eel I Roth. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2016's A Cure for Wellness. I'm Kyle. And I'm not sorry for that. I'm Sophia. (laughs) Oh boy. One thing I thought was very interesting is since we watch a lot of movies that are kind of bullshit, they end up being these like tight 90 minute things that are arguably just made to make something this was a goddamn two and a half hour movie (laughs) now i will say that this movie could have been significantly shorter but it would be a worse movie because of the visuals and the atmosphere this movie was easily let's see of its two and a half hour runtime this movie was easily 45 minutes to an hour of just stunning visuals that absolutely did not need to be there for the plot Right, yeah. Speaking of what, I was looking up some trivia beforehand on IMDb just to see, and they're apparently the mountains that we see were added in post, which makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of expensive to fly to Switzerland. Yeah. I believe they shot in Germany. Oh, that makes more sense. Which, still not Switzerland. No, no, but southern Germany is similar to Switzerland in some very minor ways. But yeah, one of my notes is like, God, this is just a beautiful shot. Oh, it's gorgeous. So do we want to just jump right into it or we have some stuff? Okay. So we open, right, on this sterile and dark and just bleak view of New York City, which I live here. That's not what it looks like. And we pan up and like the camera angles down so you can see an empty street on Wall Street. When does that happen? That happens never. So automatically, we're starting from a place where there needs to be this like disillusion of like 
this this has to seem like lonely and sad. I want to say this up top is so much of this movie has almost like a green filter on it, kind mm-hmm. of like the Matrix. Yeah, so the city does have that matrixy like dark green grime filter on it. Like there's a layer of scum on the camera's lens. So we we see this Wall Street guy working and he has this like really fancy old school note sealed with a wax seal and he doesn't read it and then has a heart attack and dies in a puddle of water. Yeah. Hang on to that. <laughs> yep. I I made a note that I thought it would have been extremely funny. If it was just like the 30 seconds we see him where it's like you feel like something's building, but that's just the whole movie and it never pulls the trigger. <laughs> just the, the, the Hitchcockian suspense thing. Yes. Yeah, that would have been badass. <laughs> but we know the guy's not the protagonist, so. No. Well, I mean, he's dead, gonna... so that, that's fine. So then we immediately cut to this gorgeous shot of a train of, of a beautiful Swiss landscape being reflected off the window of a train as it goes into a mountain tunnel. And inside is working our protagonist, Lockhart. No first name. I thought this actor was Jaden Martell prior to watching the movie. He was in both of the It movie remakes as well as Knives Out. He was the alt-right kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not, that's not him. Totally wrong age. But also, in this scene specifically, I kind of thought it was Marky Mark. <laughs> no, this is... Dane DeHaan. Yes. Who is just an inconsolable prick. Just all the time. Like, this is, like, when you think of a uh, Wall Street guy, this is the guy. He's the guy. He's he's clearly an Ivy League shitbag. He's burning through an entire pack of nicotine, or uh, Nicorette, in, like, the space of 20 minutes. It's actually impressive. And he's just burning through financial, doing financial crimes on a public transit system. We'll come back to that. We also get this narration of what that letter contained that we saw in the opening scene. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And basically, it is the CEO of this financial company excusing himself from public life to take the waters, an old school term for people, for old men who go to a sanatorium to feel better. And it's just kind of this like meandering philosophical, I've seen the truth and I can't go back. And it's like, okay, come on. Yeah, just hand job motion. (laughs) So this guy gets a ride from the train station up to the state and we get some exposition from the driver. There's also a flashback. Oh, oh, that's right. There's a flashback. Yeah, sorry. This up and coming broker gets called up to the partner's boardroom. And they basically ream him saying, hey, you did a good job, but it was sloppy. No, 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 no. That's not that. Okay, so I mentioned that he was doing financial crimes like in public on a computer and that's sloppy. So basically the the point that they're getting at here is that Wall Street is such a cutthroat business that like in order to convince somebody to take a flight to Switzerland to retrieve the CEO from a health spa, one must be coerced. So what they do, he got promoted because of his work on the, I think it's Peterson account or something like that. But the CEOs of these two companies that are trying to merge are like, well, the SEC wants to, you know, full transparency and look at our books. I'm like, that's pretty standard. So so they're like, yeah, I'm, I don't 
have time to go to go to Switzerland and get this guy. And they slap down this portfolio and be like, this is a sloppy financial crime. We've been doing this a lot longer than you. We know all the financial crimes. This is bad work. <laughs> now you'll do this or this is all going to land on your very narrow shoulders. I do like the dialogue in this scene, as well as many others. It's some really nice back and forth in a lot of places. It's like, oh, yeah, every scene has some tension in order to, mm -hmm. like, move plot forward. It's like, oh, that's really cool. I think they yeah. did that well. But that's also our inciting incident. That's what gets us to our starting place. Yeah, so this driver has a Mexican accent. And, and there's a scene later where you hear him speak Spanish. And, like, I didn't know if it was just, like, you know, an accent mix-up. And then he speaks Spanish. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is actually just, like, a dude who moved to Switzerland to drive for this spa. But he, like, kind of gives some exposition about the reason that the villagers don't, like, the people on the hill, as he calls them, the sanatorium. So it goes back to the time of the barons, which my Swiss, his Swiss history is a little confusing. And my grasp on it is not where it should be. So I don't think that was ever really a thing, but I may be mistaken there. Within the movie, it's about 200 years prior. Yeah, which there was an America 200 years ago. So this was not like, I think they kind of missed on that number, but okay, whatever. So essentially, Sparin does a pure bloodlines thing and marries his sister. The church won't allow it. So there's a kind of a war between the religious folks and bottom of the hill and the baron at the top and then that ended in the baroness who remembers the baron's biological sister getting set on fire and then something happened to the baron it's not specified what they talk about dads in this scene and this is where we find out that lockhart's father harry we know his name but we don't know lockhart's name jumps off a bridge in response to some bad wall street news yeah while his kid is in the car. Yeah. Is this also where we have a weird thing with the mom? Yeah. So so there's a bunch of flashbacks in here. And so the mom is in a home. She's kind of older. She's not particularly well. But she paints porcelain figurines that sit atop uh, music boxes. And she's currently painting a ballerina. And she makes up these fanciful stories to go along with them. The one that she's currently working on is a dreaming dancer. The dancer is dreaming and she's dancing because she doesn't know she's dreaming. Yeah. It's a little confused. Yes. I'll say it now. The ballerina becomes a symbol in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it does. There's also a weird thing where, so she has like a magnifying glass so she can get very detailed work. And in one shot, the magnifying glass is positioned so that her eye is like very large. And I was like, what is happening? Like I do try to, understand meaning sometimes movies just do things because they do them but i was like is this eye thing gonna come back maybe it kind of does in a big way so remind me when we get to the analysis section I'll, i will tell you all about that okay so at this point we're at the facility and it's very clean and you know there's lots of old people kind of shambling around in white coats and they seem to be having a good time some of them are doing tai chi on the yard some of them are playing croquet however the desk nurse is unhelpful visiting hours are over and you have to respect that <laughs> yeah but they were over for like 10 minutes oh yeah also we see that this guy has a rolex and i said of oh, fucking course he has a rolex yeah 
Yeah. He's a Wall Street guy. If you don't have a Rolex, you're basically nobody. Or you mean you know, there's better watches. That's true. I'm not getting into like snobbery about watches, my god. Yeah. <laughs> so he's looking for the CEO. The CEO's name is Pembroke. And they have him sign a visitor form. Yeah. Yeah, and I go, hey, don't sign shit without reading it. That does come back. Not in a major way, but it does come back. This form is almost certainly in Swiss German, which don't sign a form in a foreign language if you can't read that foreign language. Right. So he gets a runaround from the doctor, and that's where we get introduced to the vitamins that these that everyone at this facility is taking and the water. We're told that the secret to this spa is its particularly curative waters, which is a nonsense term. Water is water is water is water is water. You can drink the purest water. You can put as much stuff as you want in it. It is still water. We'll come back to that. They call back to like, oh, it's just like hydrotherapy, which I guess is like a real thing. Yeah. So essentially, I mean, you do lots of things with, with like, like the one thing that they're showing is like, getting sprayed down with a hose. I mean, having been sprayed down with a hose, like, I can imagine if the flow were less strong, it might have made for a good massage. But this was a fire hose. Yeah, I mean, if, if you ever take a shower with real good water pressure, that could be... Oh, yeah. But also, now like, people do physical therapy in pools because water has different yeah, motion physics. It, it's more dense, so you get more resistance just from being in the fluid. Mm -hmm. Question... He ends up meeting some of the other patients. Yeah. And one of them who's important is Mrs. Watkins. She likes doing puzzles and also ends up giving him a lot of history about the Baron. Mm -hmm. He ends up solving a puzzle for her. She's trying to do a crossword. The answer ends up being absolution. And I was like, oh, that feels like big foreshadowing. And then I don't remember ever really coming back in an explicit sense. You know what? I'm going to put a pin in that one. Because that's, that's actually, there's something there for that. So we'll come back to that one. Because yes, there is there is a kind of absolution available here. But it is, surprise, surprise, a little bit Christian-centric in its ideas about what absolution can mean. Uh, he walks around on the ground some more. He sees a creepy grate. I go, don't like that grate. <laughs> <laughs> no, the grate, the grate is bad news. And the grate is kind of like hissing and howling at him a little bit. And the reason he walks over there is because some dude shanks a croquet ball into the rough. And he's like, hey, can you get that for me? Like, no, man, do it yourself. You live here. But uh, yeah, so he goes, he very obligingly, but honestly with the... So Lockhart is a stereotype of Wall Street guys. Some are actually like approachable people. They're just typically not approachable to each other. So... <laughs> He does this in a way that is like really snotty. Like he's got that New York attitude that that we're supposed to all have. Yeah, I've lived in I've lived in the Bronx for like a week and a half, and I already talk like this. What the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, like that whole that whole attitude that that New Yorkers are supposed to have. He's just like radiating. Like I don't have time to fuck with you. I don't have time to fuck with you. Fuck off and leave me alone. So at this point, he is told he's not seeing Pembroke today. So it's like yeah. fine. I'll get a hotel at the bottom of the mountain or what in yeah. town. And so he talks to the guy who drove him up. He's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. So he goes down as they're going down the mountain. They see 
a girl standing on the ramparts of this very old manor. And the cab driver notes, that's a pretty girl. And then a deer hits the car and they have a terrible, terrible car accident that they do not cut away from. This scene bothered me. Yeah, I could see that. This was... That wasn't fun. (laughs) There's some quick flashes and it's like, oh, hey, symbolism or foreshadowing or like, this is going to be relevant. Yep, the girl is... Oh, yeah, the mom dies, I guess. Yeah. So I think this is a flashback. She dies while he is like preparing for this trip because he is able to get the ballerina that broke off of Mm -hmm. her music box when she dropped it when she died. Yes. There's some parts of this movie that the timeline gets a little funky. Yeah. You have to be paying real close attention. Yeah. But Lockhart is now in the what do we want to call this for the movie just so i have a name the facility let's call it the facility lockhart's in the facility and he has a broken leg and it's jason isaac hell yes (laughs) my man and he is the lead doctor at this facility dr volmer so he tells him that like yeah you broke your leg Uh, you've been asleep for three days i blame myself the locals tell me I should hunt the deer on the estate, but I can't bring myself to harm them. But they're also having venison tonight. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Yeah. There's a point when he, when he comes to dinner, Volmer's like, oh, Lockhart, have a seat. The salmon or whatever is is delightful, unless you prefer the venison. <laughs> I couldn't let it go to waste. The deer was alive. It stumbled away from, it messed up, but it stumbled away from the wreck. Yes. I don't want to get more into this, but there is... Possibly it would have been more humane to just kill the deer. I don't know. Yeah. No, it absolutely would have been. But anyway, we, yeah, uh, not an ethical hole we have time to go down. Yeah. So we get more confirmation that the patients here are a bunch of rich assholes. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back to it. It's important. And they kind of imply that everyone's like kind of empty on the inside. It's like, yeah, rich people not having inner lives. And the driver says that on the way up. He's like, yeah, rich people have rich problems. At this point, here's where we super zoom in on the water being very important. Okay, I just cannot, I can't be the only one, okay? I just made a whole Baba Yaga out of my hair for this. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot be the only one who thinks Lockhart, like Dane DeHaan, what the fuck are you doing with your lips? He drinks like a (laughs) Burton claymation. (laughs) Yes, it is quite weird. But uh, he does notice that there's something in the water. Something that smears. It is a weird plot point, but it speaks to a thing in the rest of the movie that kind of bugged me. Is he ends up looking at his Rolex and it just happens to stop. Yeah, the watch stops. Yeah, but it stops at the exact moment he looks at it. And there's a couple things in this movie that like are coincidental it's like turning on the TV and the relevant piece of news just happens to be playing at that exact moment. It's that kind of trope. And it's like, man, this is annoying. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. So, yeah. So from there, we see Lockhart tries to find Pembroke and kind of he, he lies to a nurse to find out where Pembroke is. And then he says that he's Pembroke and asks where he's supposed to be. And the nurse directs him. The steam room. Yeah, he goes down to the steam room. Now, okay, this movie is like 70% liminal space, and it kind of rules. Yeah. 
So this steam room is monstrous. You could get lost in there for days. So in order to go into the steam room, he has to basically strip down. He gets a towel, but... Mm. And I wrote, this one's for the ladies. Kind of. And then, because it's a bunch of old men and old women and also Dane DeHaan. Yeah, so if you're uncomfortable with nudity, this is not the movie for you. Just like in a whole bunch of ways. Yeah. While he's walking through this, like, tiled area, I noted, because we talked about eyes with the magnifying, Mm -hmm. the lights are kind of eye-like in these rooms. So I was like, oh, this is kind of recurring, but I still never put together what they fucking meant. Oh, I mean, okay, so, so, Kyle... (laughs) Let me just go ahead and give you a taste of, of this. It's it's essentially the surveillance that they're under. And this was Oh, like a panopticon thing. Okay. Yeah, it is absolutely a panopticon. So yeah, so so we get some eye motif and like Lockhart gets very lost in the steam room and like the walls seem to be shifting around on him. Yes. I was like, this is like Silent Hill or mm-hmm. you don't play a lot of video games, right? I'll play a shitload of video games. I don't play a lot on console. Oh, my apologies. Are you familiar with Control? Oh my god, yes, I am. I have it on my computer right now. Yes, the the Bureau in Control, the shifting shit Yeah, the shit Bureau there. of Control, yep, yep. It is very similar to FBC headquarters, yeah. That was super cool. Yeah, so the building kind of shifts around, but like, while he's not looking. So he ends up like getting a little bit lost, and then he sees in the far background, or far foreground, I suppose, a deer walk through, and... This is the first sense that you get that there's not actually anything spooky going on here. He's just hallucinating. Yeah. Or at least that's a suggestion. Yeah. That part doesn't really hold up in light of everything else, but it It contributes to tone. Yeah. So fine. He finds Pembroke. Yeah. He finds Pembroke who is steaming in this like obscure back corner of the steam room. And Pembroke is... One bazillion percent not interested in going back to New York because he's aware that some financial crimes were done and he's the CEO. This is going to come down on his head. Right. He starts waxing poetic like he did in the letter. And Mm. he's like, I had the sickness. And I'm like, I hate when shit's like the noun. (laughs) Yeah. So it turns out that Pembroke knows Lockhart's dad and expresses condolences about what's happened to him because as it turns out he was also a sacrificial lamb for some financial crimes and he died oh that's what they meant okay yeah so sorry you have to, you have to be a criminal or adjacent to criminal activities for some time to understand some of this stuff like i've i've done some study in money laundering i was doing an aml thing for a while so like some of this stuff sounds really familiar to me well they say like it's too bad what we had to do to him. And I was hoping they would explain what that meant and then never did. So I kind of just brushed it off. So what what you hear is like you, you hear he, he was a good man and we destroyed him for it. It's a shame what we had to do to him. And then in the flashback, if you're listening to the radio, Lockhart's dad is fine until he hears a stock report and the stock market has taken a plunge. And at that point, he puts two and two together knows he's the fall guy, and then jumps. Okay. I heard the stock drop thing, and I didn't quite make the connection. Yeah. While his son is in the car. Yeah. With a RoboCop toy. With a RoboCop toy, which... Not relevant, but I was like, oh, hey, Mass RoboCop. capitalism, maybe 
Somehow Pembroke acquiesces and is like, what's the stock at? Yeah, he, he kind of snaps a little bit. And so he's like, all right, I'll get my things. But then, like, doesn't show up. So Lockhart's waiting around till dinner time and goes to confront Dr. Volmer during dinner. This is where we see that, that Volmer is serving the deer as well as some fish. Yeah, so Volmer tells him that, like, Pembroke's taken a turn because of your discussion of business matters. It set him back a little ways, but he's advanced to his next stage of treatment. A lot of times people will say, like, oh, I'm not well. And I kind of, like, a lot in this scene, I was like, do they have a victim mentality? What's happening? Are, are they, I mean, like... I think there is a recognition that, like, especially if you won at capitalism, you had to do so over a pile of corpses, both right. metaphorical and physical. So... Yeah, yeah, these titans of industry are not well people because they are monsters, because that's what capitalism made them do so that they could win. Right. We also get to meet the girl, I think, yes. at this point. I think it's the next scene. Okay. So the next morning, Lockhart is kind of hobbling around on his crutches, and he meets Hannah. Real quick, in the scene at dinner when he's talking with Volmer. Mm-hmm. He, like, says, you're not actually curing these people because curing them means that you don't have customers anymore. It's like, yeah, hey. it's, not, it's not good for business to cure your patients. Yeah. There's a lot of money in treatment. There's no money not in so cure. In cure. Yeah. Which is not incorrect, which is why it's important that medical services never, ever, ever be privatized under any circumstances. Exactly. But yes, as you're saying, we meet Hannah. We meet Hannah. Now, Hannah is like 12 or 13. If you hear the tension in my voice, we'll get there. Don't worry, we're almost there. Yeah. So Hannah is apparently like a special case at the institution. She's had a very traumatic past. She says that her mother died in a fire and her father will come for her (laughs) when she is well or when she's better. And she's better. That's what mm-hmm. she says. So, I don't remember where we go from here. Real quick, I want to point something out. <laughs> How do you feel about taking more psychic damage than this movie already did? You know what? Just hit me with it. Okay, when they had him pee in a cup, I wrote that they had a piss fetish. <laughs> Aww, gross. <laughs> so, to be clear, Hannah is played by Mia Goth, who is a British actress. and. She's not 13. She's a full-grown adult in her, I think, mid-20s. Yeah, she's in her late 20s. So, like, this is an adult playing a literal child, and, like, don't like it. Don't like it. Lockhart goes searching for Pembroke, because he's like, what happened? And they're, like, cleaning his room. Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) The nurse actually gets kind of snippy and is like, I thought you were Pembroke. Yeah. God, I would have loved to have more of her in the movie. Bazinga. Yeah, no, that would have been great. Unfortunately, given what we learn about the staff, kind of glad that our exposure was limited. Yeah, that's fine. Our next thing is that Lockhart is going to get some treatment in a sensory deprivation chamber. Yes. So, a note on sensory deprivation therapy. This is an actual thing that actually is done today. However... One does not do it in a brewer's vat, and one does not lock oneself in so that only a machine can get you out. 
there is a reason for this. So Lockhart is entirely submerged and is floating in this tank as a primordial return to the water of the womb kind of thing. And you can tell that this is all bullshit because Volner is like, you may, you may experience some, some slight hallucinations and some, uh, some visions. Uh, rest assured, it's just the toxins leaving the body. Any doctor who tells you anything about toxins leaving the body and is not talking about goddamn snake venom is lying to you. Or the liver. Or the, yeah, the liver and the kidneys, yeah, that, whole, that whole system that exists in your body to remove toxins. Like if they're trying to leach toxins out through your skin or the soles of your feet or whatever, it's a bullshit grift. Yes. He's floating. Things are going fine. Some eels show up. They do, and oddly enough, this is when a nurse who looks fine, she looks fine, as long as she keeps her shirt on, shows up and then does the opposite of keep her shirt on. And the operator just spanks that clown, like just chokes the chicken, flogs the dolphin, or punches the clown, that's right, uh, spanks the monkey, that's it. Spanks the monkey, punches the clown, chokes the chicken, flogs the dolphin, you name it, he's jerking off. And as he's about to climax, she drops some of this vitamin water on his tongue while Lockhart is in this tank getting just swarmed by eels. Yeah, they told him if there's a problem, knock on the glass. But they're a little preoccupied. (laughs) By the way, she, she has, it must be noted, she's got some busted up titties. Like, those are not good titties. I'm sorry to say that. Like, I loved me some titties. I did not love those titties. Of course he gets out because we're only like 50 minutes into this movie. 25 if you watch it at two times speed. And it's (laughs) way funnier. (laughs) Yeah. And, God, the nurse gives him some shit, I think. And is like, actually, you didn't see any eels. That wrote, Gaslight Gatekeep, girl boss this nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh my god. Would you call a lot of what happens in this movie gaslighting, or is it a different kind of thing? No, this is absolutely gaslighting because shit is happening to him. Well, so here's the thing. It's actually difficult to say. If we accept that empirically there were eels, then yes, this is gaslighting. And I might add that not acknowledging... Okay, so if you're hallucinating something and you have sensory like uh, haptic and visual hallucinations. So you can see things and feel them. Who are you to tell me that's not real? That's all reality is. It's just a, It may not be a part of our shared experience, but it's very real to me, the person suffering from the, the hallucinations. Yeah. So it is, it is still fucked up to, to be like, there are no eels. Like, no bullshit. I had a thing happen. But that said, it's unclear whether at this point, whether the eels are actually part of our shared experience or not it remains that way that uncertainty for quite a while good long while not through the whole movie i think you'll notice we said (laughs) we get a resolution on this Mm -hmm. there's some creepy sounds in lockhart's bedroom that night and he goes to investigate it go hey don't do that so the toilet is rattling so i am a little bit frustratingly hyper-competent in some ways. Like, I've replaced toilets before. 
So among my many bazillion other jobs, I've replaced toilets. So I can say with certainty that if the chain connecting the handle with the plunger that drains the upper tank into the lower tank is loose, then a strong flow current into the upper tank can cause that rattling sound. So like, there's no reason to think this is necessarily something creepy. However, you did just have an experience with a bunch of eels that anomalously disappeared. So maybe not, maybe don't. My opinion is just ignore it. Like for reasons, I sometimes play a little game with myself called, is this an auditory hallucination or do I just not know the source of this sound? Yeah. It is 100% always the latter. Yeah. So, okay, fun story. So I was staying with a friend of mine in New Jersey while I was getting my apartment squared away. I actually did a couple of episodes of this show in her house, the last two. So it's recently started to get cold here, and we've had a couple of weeks of bad weather. And the decision was made to start up the radiators in the individual rooms. I don't know if you've ever heard a radiator start up. Here's, I, I went into my bedroom and this is what I heard. I was like, okay, that thing is under my bed and it's going to kill me. I don't want to know what it looks like. Yeah. I'm good. Anyway, we learn more about the Baron. What's really neat in this movie is we get a bunch of different information about the Baron and you kind of have to piece, they do do the work for you eventually but you can like kind of piece together what's real what's not but they say that the reason the peasants were upset was not because he married his sister it's because he was using peasants for experiments and it's like oh shit a rich guy using peasants for personal gain who would have thought so here's where we learn that volmer has a fascination with the old baron right yeah so so he knows this bit of history that everybody is treating like it's ancient history again america existed when this uprising apparently happened yeah and he's like the guy i can't speak to his morals but as a man of science i respect that yeah yeah whatever two things i wanted to note is lockhart goes to like investigate part of the grounds and the ground he talks to a groundskeeper who speaks Mm. in another language and i'm very curious if knowing what he said gave anything away. Because I don't know if you know this, in the movie The Thing... They speak Norwegian, yeah. Yes, and it gives away the movie, if you know Norwegian. Yeah, that is correct. So this guy is speaking German. Mm -hmm. And no, it doesn't really give it away too much, because he comes up to Lockhart and says, and I, I may have gotten this part wrong, he's like, what are you doing there? And he's like, I saw you take a patient down here. And he just says, water. Like, oh, okay. that's what he says. Yeah, it's just water. Okay. Which, I mean, there's such a focus on water in every other aspect that that's not a... Yeah, that, that's, not, that's not a giveaway. I don't remember what prompts Lockhart to do this specifically, but he's like, I need to get into town. And he ends up talking to Hannah because she has a bike. Yeah, so he stole a medical record, but it's in Swiss German. So he needs a translator. So he stuffed it in his cast... Right, because he thinks that that the doctors there are actually making the people sick in a sort of Munchausen by proxy type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So he's going to go see if there's a doctor in town. And Hannah is riding around a fountain on her bike. And he offers, like, he's like, he goes, hey, how far is it in town? She goes, like, a few miles. You're not going to walk it, are you? 
He's like, well, I mean, unless you want to give me your bike, well, what will you give me in return? He pulls out the ballerina. So we're coming back to that. You will notice that if you're paying close attention, Hannah's dress and the ballerina's dress are pretty close to the same color. So she agrees. That one. Oh, did you not? I didn't catch that one, but something happens in town that made me make a connection. Uh, okay. So she agrees, and they bike into town. And as they're leaving, you can see that there are eels on the top of the gate yes. for this place. There are also eels on the wax seal on the letter from the beginning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they get into town, and again, I want to make super clear here, this is a prepubescent girl. Okay. They go into a bar and order beers. Now, I believe the drinking age in Switzerland is 18. She's not yet had her first period. She is 12 or 13 at most. But hey, we find out that the taxi driver didn't fucking die like I initially thought. Yeah, I actually thought he died too, but no, he's fine. He's a little banged up, but the facility paid him enough to get a new car. So all is well with the world. Also, when they pour the beer, not so much once the they actually get it. When they pour the beer, it looks clear as fucking water. I was like, yeah. that's some weak shit. Yeah. It doesn't look like good beer. Yeah. Lockhart gets Hannah a beer. Shouldn't have done that, but whatever. And he asks her if she's ever had it. And she's like, no. And he's surprised. It's like, you know that she's been at the facility for pretty much her whole life. And you've been there. Can you not make the connection that they don't have beer? Yeah. Where was the last time you saw beer at that place? Idiotic. She gives him some vitamins. I thought that was going to come back to bite him in the ass. No. As it turns out, the vitamins are fine. Yeah. She doesn't like the beer, and he doesn't like the vitamins. They both taste bad. Lockhart wanders off to find someone who he has been told is close enough to a doctor. Yes, indeed. And while he's off, Hannah gets herself into a spot of bother. So Hannah is sheltered. She doesn't have a lot of social experience and is exceptionally socially awkward. Everybody in this fucking movie treats Hannah like she's, you know, 20. Why? I don't know why the f- what? Here's the thing, like, she completely reads, at least to me, as a, like, a teenager at oldest. Does she? Because she looks like a prepubescent girl to me, maybe I'm- I'm at, like, 14. Like, mm. Okay, so like, pubescent, but barely. Yes. Okay, fair enough. There is also, this has a bit of a trope, I think, of young girl in a dress, barefoot, in a bar. I've seen that at least one other time in the movie Nell with Jodie Foster. Do not like. Do not like. No, it's a very weirdly specific trope, though. It's like, oh, okay. Right, so, so she goes to the bathroom. Because everyone is staring at her because all the kids in this town are punks and goths and she is not. If I said the phrase German raver, exactly what you think. And that's these kids. Gross. Yeah. So she goes to the bathroom and like there are a couple of girls in the bathroom who are like, hey, do you have a tampon? It's my friend's time of the month. And she is just baffled by this. So clearly they're not teaching her biology up the hill. Another way that you can tell these are kooks. So she obviously doesn't, and they call her a freak because they're punk kids uh, and kids are shit. Mm -hmm. I think from here we jump back to Lockhart with, this guy's like a vet, maybe? Yeah, he's he's a veterinarian. 
But but the, the important thing is he knows how to read medical documents in German. So after some ill-mannered bargaining, they come to the conclusion that these folks are losing their teeth due to chronic dehydration, which is weird because they do nothing but drink water up the hill, as Lockhart notes. Mm-hmm. And that can't really help him because he has other things to take care of, like slaughtering this cow. Okay, Kyle. Yes. I understand that you are not a rabbi. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. you have to know, like, you have to have a better idea of the way that it is proper to kill a cow. Yeah, it's up by the neck. Yeah, not, as this would have us believe, by splitting it up the stomach. This guy puts this cow out of its misery by splitting its stomach open and spilling the contents onto the ground. And the contents are a shitload of eels. And a calf. And a calf. And, of course, organs, but whatever. Yeah. Oh, also, I made a note that this movie really loves meeting out information when it's good and goddamn ready. Because here we find out that the Baron was not doing experiments because his wife was sick, because she was infertile. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, probably at least some of that has to do with all the rape and incest, which, I mean, is almost always rape. Yeah, yeah. But I was trying to figure out what exactly this water was doing, because I was like, is it making them, like, what What was the deal with the calf? So this is the thing that the movie's trying to, to kind of, like, I think it's maybe ineffective in communicating this. So the thing that Lockhart found in his glass earlier in the movie is a little critter called an elver. And an elver is just a a young eel. It's the post-hatch phase of eel biology. So these eels thrive in stomachs, some stomachs. Presumably not a crocodile's stomach because their stomach acid is ridiculous. It can melt bones. But yeah, so, so the eels live in stomachs. They have the ability to operate in that in that very acidic environment and that's what the movie is trying to communicate the cow okay okay this veterinarian also compares lockhart to the cow because lockhart has a broken leg mm-hmm. it's like it's an animal that needs to be put down and it's like oh shit has also been drinking the water yes we jump back to the bar hannah comes out of the bathroom someone gives her a quarter for her to put in the jukebox and to break up the tension what do you think would be the most atonal or funny song that could have played in the jukebox? Yakety sax. Okay. I was going to say tub thumping. That would be hilarious. So what comes on is this kind of like German language smooth jazz kind of thing. Am I getting that genre right? Sure. Okay. Doesn't matter. It's it's smooth. It's a little bit funky. Teensy bit dangerous. It's good enough that they can dance to it. And this punk that paid for the song, because obviously Hannah doesn't have any money, rather demands a dance. And she's willing to oblige until he starts grinding on her. But she doesn't even notice because she's too innocent. It's when Lockhart notices that he's like, that's not okay. But here is also with Hannah's dancing where I put together, oh, Hannah's the ballerina. Yeah. Yeah. But at that point, it was pretty obvious. There are a couple of more symbolic thingies that that sort of spell it out in slightly more explicit detail but yes hannah's the ballerina lockhart calls his home office on a rotary phone they have a goddamn rotary phone in what is supposed to be present day 
and they demanded a credit card to make a long distance call. Also hilarious. Turns out the director, Volmer, lied. He had said that after the car crash, they contacted the home office so that they would know where Lockhart was. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen. So they're freaking out. They're yelling at him, which is all just adds to the like deceptive nature of the facility. Yep. Whatever. So at this point, like they reiterate that, yeah, there's a clock on this. If you're not back in like 48 hours, this whole thing comes down on you. So at that point, he attempts to rather aggressively inquire of Hannah why she like several questions. There's no way that she has the answer to. (laughs) And then the German punk kind of reasonably interjects. So I don't agree with the reason the kid gave for objecting. Essentially, it was I paid for this dance. I'm like, fuck you. However, objecting when a man is aggressively verbally accosting a woman in public is fine. I think it was very ironic that Lockhart and this dude have like a tiff and he goes like back off Adolf. And it's like, Dane DeHaan, you look like a Hitler youth. Yeah, no, he he literally looks like Hitler shaved his mustache. Oh my god. Which, that sucks. They have a fight. It gets broken up by the people from this facility. Yep, not the cops. Volmer. Yeah. As they're leaving, Volmer says, she may look like a woman, but she is still just a child. I'm like, there's no universe in which I didn't read her as a child. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, am I taking crazy pills? (laughs) Well, this movie's about gaslighting, and they're gaslighting the audience into thinking this is an adult woman. Which, yes, the actress is an adult woman, so... Yeah, yeah this is it's very meta. <laughs> yeah, We get back to the sanitarium, and this actually threw me for a loop. We get a scene that doesn't include Lockhart. Mm-hmm. However, it does include mention of Lockhart. Right. So it's Fulmer and Hannah, and they're talking about what just happened and why it was not okay for her to sneak off and she says it's okay Lockhart was with me and Volmer's like yeah with a knife to his throat which (laughs) is true Adolf pulled a knife on him and was about to gut him like a fish when Volmer arrived so like he can't take care of you he can barely take care of him he can't take care of himself and they kind of have a fight because she's starting to feel a little PMSy rebellious even well I think PMSy is a probably less burying the lead than rebellious but also it would have been better storytelling to say that yeah so rebellious she's feeling a little rebellious more to the rebellious than the pms thing we also saw that she stole some lipstick that was left in the bathroom at the bar yes yes so one of the goth girls left their very dark red lipstick in the bar i might be jumping around but i think at this point we see lockhart and mrs watkins talking And a doctor comes by and says, like, oh, it's time for your treatment. She's like, I could have sworn I just had it. Yeah. And then the doctor's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So they're they're discussing, like, what he learned in the village. And she's kind of, like, putting things together. And, like, everyone's kind of aware that he's a disruptive element to all of this. And so she's putting, like, all the pieces together. And then so they have to give her a second treatment. I also said, though, that, like... His watch doesn't work, no one has technology, and it feels like not knowing the time or being able to keep track of time is helping the people, like, manipulate the patients. 
AAS. So this is a thing they do in jail. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't remember how we led to this. We get what is a dream sequence, we find out. And I described it as American Beauty meets Slither. Ah, God, yeah. Okay, so Hannah's in the bathtub. And as one is in the bathtub, she is naked. And it is deeply uncomfortable for everyone. Because in the diegesis of the movie, she is not yet 13. Even if she was 13, it wouldn't be okay. But No. <laughs> but then it, there's she's just covered in eels. Yeah, just... just they're Very everywhere. gross. Turns out it's a dream sequence. We get more of this toilet handle thing. Oh, isn't she also like spinning in a dress and in, in like submerged in water? Not at this point. Different? Okay, yeah, that's a different. That's a different dream sequence. I thought it'd be interesting if the like toilet handle thing ended up being like a Morse code. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm like that. That feels like too much effort to like Way check. Too much. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I don't think it is anyway. No. Lockhart notices something's weird with his tooth. Yeah, so he starts to do some digging. He pulls out his goddamn tooth, and it's disgusting. He has the same issue that were described in the files he took to this vet of like, oh, hey, if you're chronically dehydrated, your teeth fall out. So something that we haven't really talked about is how frequently people say to him and everyone in the facility, are you drinking the water? They're making sure that he is pumping himself full up this shit. So, yeah, his his tooth falls out from chronic dehydration, and that's not great. He goes to, like, someone's desk as like, hey, this happened. Help me. And I made a note. This feels like it happens in a lot of, like, these types of movies. But he, like, the nurse leaves to do something. I think put the tooth in iodine, but that's not important. And he, like, while she's gone... He reaches over and grabs some files. It's like, stop reading other people's shit, you nosy <laughs> bastard. <laughs> well, yeah, so so Lockhart's curiosity and disregard for the rules has given him a little more insight into this facility than somebody who is more strictly observant of the rules might. So essentially, actually, I don't know what he learns. I don't remember what he learns. I don't either, but he ends up going into like, the lower levels of the Oh, right, yeah, the facility. area. Yeah. Yes. And that's the next section that I called In the Hall of the Mountain Doctor. <laughs> that's really good. I like it. Thank you. There is some really good set design and sound design in this scene that really sells the tone that they're going for. Look, this movie is beautiful. If everybody would just shut the fuck up, Throughout this movie, it would be moi. This was a movie that should have been silent. No, I need them to explain what the fuck anything is. That's true. That's fair. Okay. Anyway, point is, set design is gorgeous. Sound design is amazing. So there is a body in the corner that, that he goes to explore. And this body is not dead. And it starts screaming. This was accidentally funny to me. An elevator dings to say that someone's about to get off the elevator, and that ding seems to wake up this body who immediately just starts screaming. So then two, I guess you would call them butch orderlies, come out of the... Honestly, they they look a little SS-y to me. They come out of the elevator and start shouting at the guy, which doesn't help the SS kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. And then, like, it cuts away. Like, one of them reaches back to punch him, and then it cuts away. That's what that note was. I go, oh, shit, medical abuse. Yeah, oh, boy. So guess what we're talking about in the analysis section, among other things? Uh, clowns. I No. Okay. <laughs> I said that this part kind of feels like it could be the end game, where, like, you discover the stuff, the secret of the facility, but there's still a whole fucking hour Left of this movie. Yeah, check the timestamp, kiddo. We are not done. God damn. Mrs. Watkins is now on a gurney. Again, she looks dead, but isn't. Yeah. She, like, grabs him, and then, like, I guess her grip tightens, but there's, like, some musical sting. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? That's when he had a realization and kind of, like, put everything together. Okay. Also, at this point, I called the truth. About Hannah. Oh, yeah. I I got 90% of it. Okay, I was about to say, like, really? (laughs) Actually, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that's May I? Yeah, go for it. I'll just give it away now. We learn that the Baroness who was burned was pregnant. The baby went into the aquifer and allegedly survived. Yep. And we also know that Hannah's mom died in a fire. So I was like, oh, okay, so she's the... Long lost child of the Baron and the Baroness. Yes. And the vitamins have been giving her unnaturally long life. Didn't pick up that and one other big thing I didn't pick up. You know what? I think that's actually a spoiler for like two scenes from now. So Eh, fine. Yeah, so, so Lockhart gets caught. He sees Pembroke floating in a tank, presumably dead. He is not hooked up to any kind of like breathing apparatus, but... He looks like he's being preserved for something until he has a spasm in the tank. And this is never explained. No, none of this. I'm so confused about what the point of that is. Some weird hydrotherapy shit. So there have been experiments. Um, no, no, no. Not like the actual benefit for them. Like, why are the people who are doing this crazy plot have them in these stasis chambers? This might be just to, like, sell them on the idea of a cure. Okay. So there is some stuff that they've done some, like, research with that's essentially water that you can breathe. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find out what this stuff is. Oh, oxygenated perfluorocarbons, maybe? That sounds right. But we have to keep moving. Like Sophia said, they get caught... Volmer's like, there were signs everywhere. And it's like, yeah, but they were in a different language. Yeah, they were. It's American. So, yeah. So uh, I think I know what Octung means. Yeah, but like. I mean, it's just attention, but whatever. So Lockhart says, well, I have a problem with my tooth. She's like, oh, well, let's take a look. He's like, no, no, actually, I'm feeling better. If I could just go back to my room. Nonsense. You don't want it to get infected. Here is where we find out that the facility is, once again, just a bunch of quacks. So they put this crazy apparatus that I was like, is this goddamn Saw? It looks like the fucking iconic reverse bear trap from Saw. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, awful. Yeah. So after Lockhart is like strapped down to this chair and like has this headgear put on him that keeps his mouth open no matter what, he says, we don't believe in chemical anesthesia at this facility. Uh, we believe the impurities uh, interfere with the cure. But you will find that with the right amount of focus, the human mind 
can overcome any amount of pain. And then walks out and just like, okay, anybody tells you that like medicine is bad because there are impurities and they're not like a recognized MD? Run. That's a scam. That's a that's a, that's a scam. This is perhaps the most disturbing scene in the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Sorry, second most. So awful sounds. I can feel them in my teeth, like nails on a chalkboard or like styrofoam. Oh yeah, yeah. I can feel that in my teeth. So like, oh, the dentist is not good for you. The dentist is fine because like I've I've I had one incident where like Novocaine didn't really work very well on me. So I could feel it and they were like, well, we can't give you any more and we're doing this extraction. So like, sorry about it. Here it comes. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. they do a very gross dentistry thing. Mm-hmm. Dental torture. Yep. And not and not the fun Steve Martin kind. Hey, it's Halloween. Hey. Gotta have little shop of horrors. <laughs> Actually, I need to watch that. So anyway, afterwards, he like there's a new lady coming into the facility. And as soon as she gets out of the car, Lockhart like jumps in. And the guy exclaims, Ijole! which is just like a, a Mexican like exclamation, like, what the fuck? <laughs> so he's like, never mind, just drive, just drive. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> and like they go into town to the police station and Lockhart files a report. And the police are understandably skeptical. You know what fucks me up, though, is on the way up, they say, oh, the villagers don't like the people up there. So I assumed that the police person would take any fucking excuse he could to be like, well, let's fuck these guys. But then we find out why. Uh, the police are in bed with the powers that be. Yes. Imagine my surprise. Listen, not surprising, but not knowing that, <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't, like, I thought they were part of the village group, which is why I was like, why don't they just fuck up the, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's where they, like, super gaslight him. <laughs> yeah. So they have an entire medical file on Lockhart that they come in with to see the the police chief and they make it look like he is just a disaffected whack job who can't acclimate to the facility's conditions because he spent so long in sociopathic Wall Street. They also say... He's like, I'm not a patient. And they're like, yeah, you signed in right here. And it's like, and that's why you don't sign shit without reading it. There's a bunch of weird stuff here. They apparently know about his dad killing himself, which I guess now thinking back, they could have gotten from Pembroke. Uh, Well, that or like, as as Vilmar explains, like, he didn't have to tell me. Like, it's written over everything that you do and say. And that's a oh. little bit true. Oh, like, he's clearly carrying around trauma. Right. But like the specifics. I was like, oh, that's weird. But also, they're like, they killed Pembroke. And then they bring out Pembroke, who just happened to be with them. I mean, these people are clearly clever enough that they would have thought ahead. But it's more of that like weird coincidence movie thing that I keep bringing up. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I this scene drove me batty. So Pembroke comes out and goes, oh, yeah, he tried to take me back to New York against my will. Please keep me away from him. And so, yeah. He goes back to the facility and just kind of, like, succumbs to the treatment. Oh, yeah. And is this where he starts writing a letter of his own? No, mm-hmm. not quite yet. No, not is it not? quite yet. It's very soon, but there's, like, two things before it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, third time's the charm. Boom, boom, boom. On the fucking toilet handle. Yes. 
And this time he's like, oh, maybe I'll fucking check the tank, see what's happening. It is just chuck-a-block full of eels. So many goddamn eels. I wrote here that if everything turns out to be an illusion, because, so he freaks out and kind of, like, doesn't see them, and it's kind of implied they went in the, like, main toilet, but I go, if everything turns out to be an illusion, I will become the Joker. I swear to God. (laughs) And, And it looks like it might be the case, because he rips the toilet out of the wall, and oops, no eels. Hey, weird question. Do you think that was, like, Kind of a reference to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think they're commenting on the same phenomena, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're, you know, intentionally related. Right. It's just like two sort of sanitariums and mm-hmm. tearing off a thing like that. I was like, oh, maybe. I mean, I guess it could be a direct reference. But now Lockhart's like, fine, I'll give it to the facility. He writes basically word for word the same letter Pembroke wrote. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, is this meant to be like a weird cycle thing? Like there's going to be someone who comes looking for Lockhart and gets in whatever. Cycles of violence. Yeah. And then he ends up breaking out of his illusion. And another weird coincidence, it's right when he finishes writing the letter is when he decides to smash a glass and cut open his cast of his broken leg. Yep. And also coincidentally... By a staggering coincidence, it is at this exact moment that Hannah gets her period for the very first time. So that's like the the next scene, kind of. I mean, oh, is it shit? So, sorry, that's how I broke it up. Is yeah, like, they're, they're, like, it happens at, like, a dinner, but not that dinner. Is the literal next thing. Yeah. So there's a whole thing about how Hannah is not supposed to go in the water, because she's a mm-hmm. special case. Right. And so... We see this when Lockhart has like gotten out of his cast. He ends up like going into a different part of the facility, kind of on the not the facility proper, but like the outskirts. Yeah. So the creepy grate that was bricked over uh, because he was looking in it. It's in that it's in that general vicinity. Yeah. So he goes to like a weird underground lab. There's some faces in jars, I guess. Also some eels being dissected. Yep. Very Phantom of the Opera vibes. Mm-hmm. And yep, then yep. as he is descending farther into this lab, we see Hannah in like the steam room bath that we saw Pembroke in earlier, kind of descending that way. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice parallel. I also said, since Hannah's the ballerina, this is the part where the ballerina wakes up. Yeah. Yeah. So Hannah gets her period for the very first time. Lockhart realizes that the eels are real. But not the ones that he's been seeing necessarily. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? So he decides to confront Volmer, because that'll do it, and then, like, barges into a dinner. Hey, real quick. Oh, what did I forget? The eels are, like, almost swarm Hannah because of all the blood. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. There's that. He sees, I think it's Mrs. Watkins, who ends up getting fed to the eels, and he has a fight with the groundskeeper. Oh, that's right. Yes, Lurch. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing with Hannah in the water with bleeding in the eels, I was, one, I was like, did the water cause her to have her period? Like, that's how I read it, but apparently you thought it was more just coincidence. Yeah, it shit happens. Yeah. I, now, I'm not an expert in, in, you know, first periods. That, but also I was like, oh, 
with them setting up the like she's not supposed to go in the water and like this being a kind of weird thing i was like oh maybe it's magical property bullshit whatever but also the eels don't attack her which is a weird thing that doesn't she live with them for a while yes whatever but yes now he confronts volmer right so some stuff i forgot happened and then like he goes and confronts volmer and like volmer doesn't actually have to try to gaslight him very hard because he's making a bit of an ass of himself so he's like he's he goes in there he's like you're he's making you sick and can't you see like your teeth are falling out of your head you're dying you're not doing anything about it and one lady's like but we're here for the cure he's like there is no cure which is not true by the by it's just not for them yeah it's not for them he ends up saying he says something like he's making you sick and just keeps like saying that and they all start to stand up you think it's some oh captain my captain shit it is not it is more of a Shaun of the dead shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> and volner is like i wouldn't do that if i were you but he does he fucks around and finds out and at this point he is more or less resigned to the treatment he gets taken to a room that just has rows of they look like iron lungs kind mm-hmm. of yep and we get a lot of explanation that finally ties a bunch of things together. So Vulner, he comes up with this. It looks like an IV bag or, you know, a, they used to, IVs used to be in bottles and glass bottles. And this sort of looks like one of those, but it's full of dark brown water and lots of eels. And it's at this point that Vulner explains that the eels in this aquifer that the place is built over can live to 300 years old. And they only live to about 12 years old in the wild. So we're talking a massive expansion of lifespan here. So the water in the aquifer is actually really toxic unless it's filtered properly through the eels and then through the people. So it is at this point that Lockhart is intubated and eels are pumped into his stomach. I just put this together why they're drinking water so much is because they have the like the elders yeah yes okay yep that is it so the body is acclimated to the presence of the eels and then they just get pumped full of eels and then you know drained of this oily cure and we see that they pump him full of quite a lot of liquid and eels and the cure comes out in a drip like yes. it's so it takes so much to produce so little. And I should also note that you are very much conscious when this has happened or when this happens and there are several other very old people, titans of industry who are very happy that this is happening to them. Awful. Right after this, I think we see Lockhart sitting on a bench and Hannah approaches him. She says like, "Are you still trying to leave?" and he goes, "Why would I ever want to leave?" And it always makes me so sad when the person who was like the rebellious person has to Gives be assimilated up. in like a 1984 sense one flew over the cuckoo's nest yep it is a sign of defeat and we just we don't like seeing defeat so oh crap i lost i lost track of things well here's where it takes a fucking turn oh that's right yeah okay i am back baby all right, so now that Hannah has had her first period, she is hmm better, and her hmm father is coming to hmm see her. You see, like presumably the facility staff in like these white robes 
holding candles. It's very like ceremonial, culty. but yes, but culty. So she and Volmer have what is clearly a marriage ceremony. Ick. And so there is a ball where everyone's dancing and having a great time. And it was at this point that Volmer was like, okay, now I'm horny. It's prima noctis time, baby. <laughs> so off they go to this absolutely just Phantom of the Opera ass underground cave bedroom. Oh, I should mention when we were here the first time, we saw a painting of the Baroness and she looked Exactly like Hannah. Yeah, because she's the Baroness's daughter. It's also where we learn that Bulmer is the Baron, which makes this gross on so many levels. Yeah. And so she's tied up and disrobed. Violently. Violently, and it's... uh, Jason Isaacs, why? He plays a good villain. He's a great villain, but also like... I could do, like... We didn't need this. We didn't need this. We didn't need to see it. We didn't need to see him enjoying it. Also, like, two minutes before this happens, I wrote in my notes, I swear if Isaacs is the Baron and Hannah is his daughter, I'll burn this fucking place down. (laughs) And that specific phrasing is very appropriate. (laughs) Yep. So this all happens, and then Lockhart kind of interrupts it before it gets bad. Worse. Worse worse and basically like he pours some gasoline on the ground and interrupts them and the baron kind of like comes up to him and steps in the gasoline at which time lockhart who has taken up smoking again drops his lighter into the gasoline and the baron goes up like a fucking torch not before doing the other Phantom of the Opera ass thing in this movie and ripping his fucking face off because apparently it was a transplant. It was a transplant face. Oh, that's what was happening. Okay. Yeah. So he just like rips his face off because it was very badly burnt in the fire when they attacked a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. I said, like sister, like brother, burned for being awful. Yeah. I don't know if she was necessarily awful. No. She was, she was, she there. didn't have agency. Yeah. Right. The place burns down. They escape. Like, it's the whole thing we do about fight scenes. We can't really describe yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. There's no point going over it. Volmer gets eaten by eels. Oh, yeah. Hannah actually buries a shovel in his skull. Oh, I thought it was one of Lockhart's crutches. Mm-mm. Nope, it is the groundskeeper's shovel. Okay. We should mention, because this was really cool, throughout the movie there's been this like vocalization that's been going on. It's very clearly... And it's very clearly been Hannah. Mm-hmm. And though she doesn't do it here, that vocalization, the sort of melody plays as they're escaping. Yes. And as they're escaping, they run into Lockhart's bosses, who are all like, they're like, fuck it, we'll take care of it ourselves. So they're at the facility as it's burning down. And Lockhart's kind of like this weird broken man. And there's also a now pubescent rape victim with him and like what the fuck is going on Lockhart and he, he clearly is like he's gonna walk away from it all and like what's the matter with you are you sick and he's like actually I feel much better now and then bikes off with Hannah Full credits to do something no not before the creepiest fucking grin in the universe you said you were gonna go Joker he beat you to it 
He went Joker first. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> that was so creepy. Yes. Oh. Ugh. Now roll credits. Oh boy. We have analysis to talk about. Okay. Can I start with a thing? By all means. Initially, I thought this movie was going to be about toxic positivity. What? Like, before I, before I even started the movie, I thought it was oh. going to be about toxic positivity. Of like, okay. oh, it's a spa, but, like, they don't want to leave. And it's, like, it's the kind of thing of, like, no bad vibes ever, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. Didn't end up being that, though. So no. No, that. no. So, you mentioned absolution earlier. Mm-hmm. as the 10-letter word for forgiveness. So one way that, that you could read this, and it's a little crusadery, if you ask me, absolution can be found in, like, that, that was one of the draws of the Crusades, is that you, know, you, could, you could get absolution for your sins if you went crusade. So a lot of very bad men went and burned a lot of bullshit on the promise that if they went and did it in the name of Jeebus, they'd get absolution. Similarly, here comes Lockhart, clearly, like, not a well man before he got there, but, like, not in the way that the facility was preaching to him. And so they kind of had this moment where, where you know, Lockhart is, is finding his own absolution and destroying this place like it's fucking Belgrade. Yeah, I think a big association with absolution in a very Christian sense is the cleansing fire. Yes. Which definitely comes to pass at the end of the movie. Yep. Yeah, it does. So, want to talk about medical abuse? (laughs) Yeah, like we have to. Yeah, so this is, you you take the entire culture of like spas, uh, sanitariums, uh, mental hospitals, and inpatient mental health care as it exists today, it's a goddamn nightmare. It's abusive by neglect where it's not actively abusive so this is really what what i feel like the movie was like most overtly saying is like hey if anybody tries to sell you on an old-timey spa cure just so you know it's abusive quackery and you shouldn't do it yes i would also say that the reason that 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 state of affairs existed is because there was so New York was actually, if I'm not mistaken, I may have my history a little backwards, but New York was one of the first states to privatize mental health care, inpatient mental health care. And this led to fewer people being able to afford to send their deeply disturbed loved ones to mental institutions, which led to a rise in homelessness, but also led to a degrading in the quality of care available to those people. And then from a budget standpoint, it seemed like it was great. So the rest of the nation quickly followed suit, which is why there is almost no inpatient mental health care anymore. And the that there, uh, insofar as there is, it's a horrifying nightmare of, of abuse, neglect, and, and under-resourced mismanagement. I will make every movie we talk about about capitalism, maybe. One other thing related to capitalism, but since this movie kind of deals in at least functional immortality, we have the usual critiques that come with it of like, oh, you usually have to get this by stepping on the backs of others. We see that in the movie In Time, which was fine. We've talked about that a little bit before. Did we ever link Repent Harlequin? I don't think so, but I imagine it's easy enough to search. It's actually not. (laughs) That's why I asked. 
So I will dig it up and we'll put it in the show notes for this one since we missed it the last time. Cool. But yeah, so they have to run this whole facility so that a handful of people, because all the staff take the vitamins too. Mm-hmm. So about a dozen people get to live forever. Yeah, it is capitalism distilled down into this this magical argument. It's like, hey, yeah, you can live forever, but you have to kill a million people to do it. It's Elizabeth Bathory shit. This is not a new story. One thing I noted, because I thought this would be really neat if they like mentioned what the Baron and Baroness's kid was supposed to be named and like somehow link that to Hannah. If they did that, it didn't come to pass, but whatever. Do you know what the Hebrew name Hannah means? I looked this up because I was going to bring this up. I don't. It means graciousness. And I'm wondering if that means fucking anything. It could just be they chose a name. They might have chosen a name. And I seriously doubt that Regency period Swiss monarchs chose a name because it meant something in Hebrew. Right. <laughs> well, I guess they're more nobility than monarchs. Swiss history is really confusing. Okay. It's complicated. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think there is. Although now that you say that, I would say that Hannah's character, her big problem is sort of like, you know, we talked about with Zeke and Mo in Big Time Adolescence. She can't say no. She doesn't know how to say no. Well, she she learns how to say no because at one point she she hauls off and socks Lockhart and it was glorious. But like she is she is gracious to a fault to Lockhart. It gets her in a lot of trouble. It saves her life eventually, but it gets her in a lot of trouble. I don't really think there was anything to it. I was just like, oh, maybe this is something. Yeah. Which reminds me, when I was looking this up, I also looked up what Sophia is in Hebrew. I know what it is in Greek, but I don't. I assume it probably means the same thing in Hebrew. Wisdom. Well, according to what I found, it is wisdom. Yep. Cool. So the the word philosophy comes from the Greek philosophia, which means lover of wisdom or the love of wisdom and just remember audience Sophia's the smart one on this podcast or something i just happen to be very bored and have duolingo i meant more like throughout this whole thing you're very good at the uh at the research and the putting things together i appreciate you saying that i'm slacking on the research i need to get back to it i do literally nothing like you cannot do worse than me <laughs> well so whatever whatever yeah so I don't have anything more to analyze because this was a kind of a dense yeah. movie, but not like intellectually. Yeah, it was it was intellectually arid, but it was saying a lot while doing it. So I'm fine calling it there. Cool. There's lots to say, but like, watch it. It's fine. What do you want to say that's not trying to figure out themes? <laughs> I, I mentioned that this movie was like about an hour too long, but like you would lose a lot if you took out that hour. I, I hold by that, but, you know, I'm kind of, like, on the fence on how strongly I feel about it now that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. This might need to be a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah, I took a lot of pauses during it, and I think I paused right after he meets Pembroke for the first time, which is, like, mm, half an hour in. I'm like, we've only been going half an hour? It's very economical. Like, a lot happens. Yeah. It may be two-and-a-half hours, but, like... It feels longer because just so much happens. Yep. Yep. This is definitely a movie you will need a sandwich for. They did a really good job of bringing me in. Like, I'm like, what is happening? I'm so curious. The tension build is fantastic. Yeah. Here's a bunch of threads. 
and we're going to solve most of them. Some of them you'll have to put together yourself. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I don't like this. <laughs> I, an intellectual, thought it was rad. Like, one of the things I mean is what I asked you about with the dad killing himself. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't put together what exactly happened there, and they didn't spell it out. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm too stupid for this. <laughs> no, you're not. It's a dense movie. But very well made. They have some weird camera angles at a few points. They do. Something I read, though, is you'll notice you never see a ceiling, or you very rarely see a ceiling in this, because when they, like, renovated this place the paint was peeling on the ceiling and they like just could not like for budget or time reasons could not fix it yeah i feel like they put like 80 percent of their budget in the visuals so like the rest of it which is why they couldn't give a second chop on the script (laughs) but uh yeah no it's, it's a fine movie it's i i like it and with that let's go into ratings okay I thought this movie was incredibly well made, except for the last 15 minutes. I fucking hate that so much. But it's also not the type of movie I watch pretty much ever. So I'm going to say on, this is more combining how I liked it and what they intended to do. And I think it's about an 8 out of 10. So I want to I wanna quote you here. Let's do it. So you sent this to me, presumably during the movie. I'll expound on it tomorrow, but that movie went from good but not my cup of tea to I want to tar and feather everyone involved. Oh my fucking goodness. The marriage was whatever, but as soon as they got to the bed, I was like, someone has to hang for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. Eight out of ten. This was a good movie. It's a long movie, so fun fact I saw this in theaters. It was briefly talked about when it came out, but then like kind of dropped out of the conversation. I think it was an effective movie. I'm not a huge horror fan. I don't watch this movie like every weekend because I don't have two and a half hours to myself on, on the average. But I mean, it's a good movie. You can rent it and yeah. then like never watch it again. That being said, 8 out of 10, I will never watch it again. <laughs> yes. 8 out of 10, some notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As for obscurity... I'm leaning towards like a six and a half, seven. I'll say seven as my definitive. Yeah, I'll agree with I'll agree with seven. So this one, like I said, I saw like maybe two commercials, maybe two trailers on TV for it in 2016. And then like... I didn't hear about this at all. There's one big name actor as far as I'm concerned, and that's Jason Isaacs. Maybe Dane DeHaan, but not Dane really. Dane DeHaan's done a few things. I mean, yeah. I think his next most critically acclaimed thing was Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which... Cool. That's probably not what you should be known for. No. So, yeah, I I don't think this really was on people's radars. No. No, not at all. Cool. As we wrap up our episode, we get into our pop culture pop-out, a piece of pop culture we've been interested in as of late. Sophia, would you like to start? Yes, I would, because my homies, I have seen Dune, and I have to say, it's very much like this movie in that it's a very long movie, and the visuals are gorgeous. I don't have as many, like, I have a lot of Dune fanboys fighting me on this, but it is a million times better, including the soundtrack, which is the thing that people fight me on the most. 
It's a million times better than the 1984 monstrosity, and it is far better than the 2000 sci-fi miniseries, which is, in my mind, the definitive version of this story up until this year. It is, I think, probably Jason Momoa a little overplays his role, but there are some casting decisions made that I don't necessarily agree with, some that I really like. There are a lot of people of color in this movie, and it's, 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 it's fantastic. You have to see it. They, they brought in some of the best actors in the world to do this incredibly complex story, and it's only part one, so it'll end kind of abruptly for you. But part two has already been greenlit. It is going to happen, so don't worry about not getting the whole story. This movie's been out for a week by the way, and it's already got a, a part two greenlit. I'm not shocked in the slightest. So Kyle, what have you got for us this week? I recently watched a new show on Netflix. This is an adult animation show called Inside Job. This got on your radar a little bit? A little bit. Certain things about the premise, I'm like, man, fine. But it's about a work, it's kind of a workplace comedy, but the workplace is behind pretty much every conspiracy theory there is. It's all about, like, people who are secretly controlling the world. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be so fucking anti-Semitic, isn't it? Like, even if they don't explicitly do something, like, implicitly it is. And they do have an episode about reptile people, which they don't make anything that Jewish. Like, they say, oh, all these people are reptile people. And it includes Mark Zuckerberg. So, like, that's as anti-Semitic as it gets, which, like, sucks. But the rest of the show is surprisingly good. <laughs> Not amazing. Like, if you miss out on it, you're it's fine. But it's a solid show. And the lead actress is Lizzie Kaplan. Oh. It's always fun to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a Netflix original. Interesting. I might have to check that out. Sophia, where can people find you online? So, I am on Twitter, just terminally on Twitter, at... Hamil Karenina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am on Quora and Medium at Sophia Helena Maestricht. I do a queer media analysis project called Queering House on those two platforms. Also, I am very mean to flat earthers on Quora. Let's see, I'm on Instagram at Sophia H underscore M-D-T. Don't follow me on Facebook. What else am I doing? I'm doing something else. Are you doing anything on YouTube? Not yet. I, I'm okay. trying, but like my place is a disaster right now. And like I don't have a set. I'm still living out of boxes. So Kyle, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I am on Tumblr and Letterboxd under Hebro Hammer. And if you'd like, there is a link at the bottom of the show notes where you can leave a voice message to either contribute to our movie discussion or leave your own pop culture pop out. But in order to contribute to the movie discussion, next time, we're doing the Hebrew Hammer, the place Hell I got yeah. my namesake from. <laughs> Hell yes, my man. That episode will be coming out a few days before Hanukkah, so we thought we'd do another theme one. I'm going to just go ahead and let y'all know, I get ornery around Hanukkah. Like, <laughs> I, I get just straight up, like, I'm normally anti-assimilationist as, as a Jewish person. And that's sort of like my mood. That's my entire vibe. But around Hanukkah, I get almost secessionist. <laughs> <laughs>
actually Hanukkah's like super early on the Gregorian calendar this year, so there's not even yep. like that much overlap. Yeah. I don't say this most of the time, but if you like the show, hit subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. That way the new episode will download as automatically as the podcatcher allows. And hey, you know, rate us. We uh, we definitely like hearing feedback from you. We'd like to improve the show, but we'd also appreciate getting some uh, some love for you from you on the uh, algorithms. Yeah, I think that's only on Apple specifically. Oh, is that rating. only on Apple? We're on Apple, right? We are on Apple. So if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be wonderful. Tell your friends about the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word of mouth is is just sexy. I love it. Yeah. If you're on a long car ride this holiday season with a friend who hasn't heard you can lose your minds with us slowly go insane and if that's not a sell i don't know what is (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for listening goodbye bye